What's up? Welcome to the Confluence VC podcast. This podcast is meant to give you a personal glimpse into the next era of investors and operators. This week we had on Kai Cash at Primary Venture Partners. Primary is one of the best seed funds in the world. They focus on backing the best founders in New York, and this approach has resulted in their companies raising follow-on capital nearly 90% of the time. Kai's on the investment team, and he spends his time focusing on climate and software below the application layer. In this talk, we discuss breaking into VC, creating leverage as a junior investor, and building trust and deal flow with the other side of the table. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everyone, welcome to the Confluence VC podcast. It's a pleasure to have you today. We're about to kick it with a, a good homie who I've seen grow into a very, very key component of the venture community in a very short time, our friend Kai Cash. And yeah, maybe he could tell us a little bit about himself and his firm primary and maybe we'll dive into some dope things. Kai, what up? Thanks for having me on the pod. Yeah, happy to to kind of jump into background, but maybe I can give like a short a short anecdote on how I know Tyler, which is when I was looking to break into venture, Tyler was one of the the first people that I spoke to and gave me some really good advice around like creating leverage for myself and like building a brand for myself by connecting other investors to investors. So coming full circle and now speaking on the podcast, uh, definitely a lot to, a lot owed to to Tyler, but a quick background on me. I grew up in the Bronx in New York city. Both of my parents are from Jamaica. Both of them are small business owners. I start by saying that because that's the mindset that I grew up with, Um, kind of immigrant mentality, work hard, do everything for yourself. Took that, started a company with my friends. I was a a fashion sort of men's clothing wear company before e-commerce was cool. We were selling directly from our website and a bunch of t-shirts and stuff like in our bedrooms and like fulfilling packages, eventually doing like mom and, or I should say pop-up shops, not mom and pop shops um, around the city and, and meeting with different suppliers and, and trying to do that. I was uh, less interested in fashion, much more interested in starting businesses. So went to college, did more of the same, trying to build up the ecosystem there and entrepreneurship, worked on a ton of different businesses, you know, as hedging against the risk that comes from building businesses. I was also concurrently pursuing medical school until I realized, okay, well, I'm not really cut out for more exams and long, long, long cycles of waiting to do something and much more of a person who has bias towards action and came across venture through a friend of mine who who recommended me for, for an internship and kind of fell in love with the idea that you could take a job and just kind of be wrong all the time and no one would ever know until 10 years later and you'd have a ton of fun doing it and that you could learn literally anything that you want and focus wherever you want at any given time. So 
kind of fell in love with the aspects of venture and, and spent a bunch of time trying to position myself to get into venture just by, as I mentioned before, just like positioning myself as a peer rather than someone who's looking for a job. So just kind of doing everything a venture investor would before I actually got a job and just uh, started primary earlier this year, about eight, nine months in and loving every single day. So that is, that's the intro. Very, very fire, man. I love the hustle that you have on breaking into this space. I'm also curious to curious to see some of the gear that you were making. You got to send me and Clay some stuff, man. <laughs> yeah. My friends are still running the company, so I'll definitely send you the link. YOSapparel.com for people who want to check it out, I'm sure. Like, do you get a percentage of sales? Or? I do not. I'm just a full supporter at this point in time. Like, I'm just marketing support pro bono. Got you. Well, yo, you want to tell us a little bit about your firm? Yeah, happy to. So Primary is a pre-seed, seed stage firm based in New York, focused on New York. We're generalists and our thesis is we're going to invest in New York market. New York, we think, is a special place for talent when everyone else is headed out to SF, Austin, Denver, Boston, most recently Miami. The founders of the firm said New York is going to be the place to bet on. It's going to be the tech hub of the East Coast. And you know, fast forward from 2015, we're kind of looking at all these firms sort of setting up shop here in New York now and kind of pivoting to this market. The thesis has kind of played out pretty well. We're investing out of our third fund, which is about $150 million. We're leading and co-leading all of our rounds. And the reason for that is when you write, you know, typical seed fund is writing 20, 30 checks a year. It's kind of hard to support founders. So we try to pace around eight to 10 deals a year, high conviction, highly concentrated portfolio, and spend more time than not supporting founders in a variety of ways. Kind of the three pillars that that falls into is go-to-market strategy, strategic finance, and talent and recruitment. So if you need pipeline, you need to shorten the sales cycle, we have a team dedicated to that. We can put in dedicated go-to-market resources on your team from our team. Same thing with talent. If you're looking for the right people to bring around the table, you're looking to understand, you know, basically chief people officers of service, looking to understand compensation packages, how to think about diversity and inclusion. Any range of topics is, is kind of covered by our talent team and then strategic finances. Okay, well, you probably shouldn't spend any of your time thinking through who your downstream investors are going to be. We're going to provide you a ton of fundraising support, make sure you get to the A, but also think comprehensively about how you set up a data room. What should your models look like? You know, what kind of metrics should you be hitting? And on that last note, I'd say probably across our three portfolios, I think is on our website, we're, we're close to 90% conversion from seed to series A. So the model has been working pretty well for the companies that we do invest in. They do often almost inevitably go on to raise follow-on capital. So, you know, backing the best founders in New York and making sure that they, they succeed. That is very dope. Yeah. 90% is a pretty good number. I didn't, I didn't, or I'm curious as to what the industry benchmark is for seed. Would you happen to know that? It's yeah, it's more than double. So it's like, I think the industry benchmarks around 40, 40%, if that much. So well above, well above average. That is dope. And then I want to dive into one, like what you're focused on, just so that anyone here listening can send you dope stuff. But two, I'm, I'm just before that, like, I'm curious how that looks as you all scale up to like the B, C's, D's maybe, but that is a, that's impressive, man. 
Yeah, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I had the metrics around B, C, and D, but you know, you can kind of see. We actually just had a founder put out a tweet on Twitter from Electric, a business that we invested in called Electric, where he kind of commented on how much support we were providing well beyond Series A and how much hiring support we helped them go from an eight million dollar valuation when we invested in 2015 to an 800 million dollar valuation now series d company likely headed for ipo you know in the next year or two so it just kind of goes to show how much time we're kind of putting in and an effort around fundraising support you know even after the iso i'm sure the metrics kind of hold up hold up there as well and your second question was around where i'm spending most of my time i think first and foremost top of mind is climate so anything climate related in new york like would love to, to talk to people, um, kind of obsessed before I joined primary, I was at Microsoft working mostly on climate finance, looking at how Microsoft should spend its money across offset and removal projects related to their carbon portfolio and get genu genuinely excited about climate solutions. Beyond that, you know, we're generalists and I focus, I'm on the enterprise side of the house. So I focus on enterprise technology and spending most of my time on everything below the application layer. So you know, ML ops, DevOps, generally developer tools, ML first businesses, cybersecurity, you know, cloud orchestration, cloud data stack, anything sort of technical and fundamental to kind of growing this new ecosystem of technology first businesses is, is pretty fair game for me. Got you. So everyone listen, please send, please send my boy companies. He's fire, very helpful, et cetera. On the note of being very helpful, one person can only do so much. Let's talk about the idea of leverage as an investor. Yeah. Something that I think about a lot, and maybe just to simplify, I'll talk about it in three ways, though I could talk about it in many other ways. Ultimately, at the end of the day, maybe top line is like, how can you save, at least for me, thinking about this as a junior person on the investment team, like how can I save the partners as much time as possible? And how can I save my time and use it as efficiently as possible while supporting founders in the best way? I think about that in three ways. One is really under fundamentally understanding businesses, like business models and businesses is one way to create leverage. Two is to get really connected and then Three is to get really smart about particular markets. So walking through each of those, you know, one of the first things that I did when I joined primary was I asked myself, what would be a good use of time for a generalist investor? And very quickly landed on the fact that I'm never going to be an expert on any particular industry if I'm spending all my time or 5% of my time and literally everything just kind of dipping my toes in but I can be an expert on the business models necessary to take solutions through or the actual fundamentals of building a business within any, any industry. So just to give you an example, for instance, I spent a bunch of time looking into B2B marketplaces recently because B2B marketplaces are sort of a hot business model, but you know, you could abstract that to pretty much anything buy now, pay later, vertical SaaS, you know, open source solutions, they all have certain characteristics, whether or not you're building in the climate or the health space or education. And you can get really smart really quickly and help your team get really smart really quickly on whether or not it's going to be a viable business, just based on how the founder's talking about the business and whether or not it aligns and how they're spending their time aligns with different business models and what those business models need to look like at the pre-seed and seed. 
So that's kind of the first way that I sort of save some time for myself and for others is like, okay, let's get really smart about what this sort of business is going to look like, regardless of the problem that they're solving. And if you tell me that they're building a marketplace, then they should understand, for instance, that they should be building up liquidity on the supply side at the seed stage as their top priority. And does this problem, you know, is there enough fractionalization on demand and supply that makes sense for this to be a marketplace? Is there a risk of dis- uh, disintermediation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The second you know, is- just really quickly, what do you mean by liquidity on the supply side? That's fascinating to me. I'm huge on B2B marketplaces, building them myself, but like break that down really quick for, for the audience if you can. Yeah. So in the context of B2B marketplaces, you kind of want a situation where you kind of, in many ways, B2B marketplaces too look a little bit like vertical SaaS, because a lot of these businesses, you have to build a really valuable wedge product that you can sell to the supply side to validate that part of the market. So you're building two companies, you're building this vertical SaaS solution that you're selling in to ultimately get suppliers on the market. And then you're also then building this marketplace where suppliers can tr- transact with the demand side. And it is possible for you to go and you know generate a bunch of demand. It's like a chicken and egg problem, but the most successful businesses have always gone and got the suppliers first. So you know hypothetically you're doing like a steel marketplace. You don't want a bunch of people who are willing to buy steel before you have people who are able to sell steel and fragmentation on that supply side is also important. So if there are only a few suppliers in the industry, you can always find them and there's no need to build a marketplace. But if you can prove that you can go out and get suppliers at a low um, customer acquisition cost on the supply side and build that up, then that's usually a great indicator as to what, whether or not the business is going to be successful on the on the marketplace side of things. So that's what I mean by building up liquidity is like, there's a ton of fragmentation on the supply side. How do you acquire all those suppliers and like get them to transact on your platform instead of going and directly trying to interact with those buyers on the demand side? Dude, that's fascinating. Cause I've always thought to myself that yes, the aggregation of a fragmented market's huge, but like the demand side is oftentimes really hard. I mean, of course it varies by business, but man, the fact that you went there is pretty dope. I didn't mean to, I did not mean to take you away from. No worries, no worries. <laughs> Whenever there's something that I'm like, whoa, haven't really thought that through yet on my end, I, I'm excited. So please continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It, it's super interesting. And I'm happy to, to talk about B2B marketplaces, happy to talk about a ton of, like, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much halfway through, I would say I spend two or three weeks on every business model and try to connect with people in the industry, kind of experts in the space. So that way I'm not just blowing smoke and I can actually speak to it and talk to case studies of different companies that have existed that have done well in that space. But the second thing is getting really connected. One of the frustrations that I'm sure a lot of junior investors have is you get thrown into the fire as soon as you join the firm and they're like, all right, we're looking into this company in, you know, the, uh, I don't know, like cloud orchestration space. And you're like, oh my, like, what is cloud orchestration? I have no idea what, you know, how, what cloud dynamics are, what the companies are in the cloud space. And immediately you turn to your best friend, Google, and you start Googling, Hey, cloud companies. And it probably take you like at least a day, if not more to get to the starting point. And by that, I mean, you're sifting through a bunch of nonsense until you figure out what language you're even speaking. It's like moving to another country and like asking a bunch of people in English where to go. And then eventually you figure out how to say, how do I get to here? And then you finally find the hostel that you're looking for in the first place. And 
getting really connected is a really easy way to obviate the need for that Google searching, or at least get you to the starting point a lot faster. So let's say you build up, you know, a lot of growth firms use like expert networks, but you just want to get in touch with the people who are much closer to the problem than you are so that they can help you form intelligent questions around what you should be asking around the business that you're looking into. What are the dynamics in the market, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Talking to an expert is 10 times, if not more, maybe a hundred times more effective than doing those initial Google searches. That being said, I don't knock Google. One of the articles that I'm working on writing right now is like what VCs can learn from journalists. And I'm really fascinated at that intersection because if you're going to use Google, then maybe you should learn how to use it really well. What are the kind of search terms that you should be using, different search strategies? How do you get to the right information fastest? Because ultimately what differentiates you from another analyst or associate is your ability to get smart on the market really quickly. And a function of doing that is just getting really connected with, with different people on the diligence side of things. Got it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways you can have a structured approach to that. I mean, that's a really big point of why we built out Confluence the way we did. And I would actually love to talk to you about how to structure that better generally. Everyone, we should, we should host a seminar where Kai breaks down the fastest ways to get smart on the industry. Don't, yeah. man. So I skipped through uh, a question I wanted to ask you earlier. Since we're on the topic of what it like the actual better ways for you to become a better junior investor, but you had a pretty young start in the venture scene, right? What are some of the, the high level takeaways and frustrations you've had from going into it, kind of like diving from the deep end? Yeah, definitely. That, that kind of point that I was talking to just now is just like getting smart on different technologies and markets has probably been probably one of the biggest challenges. Getting connected, starting from zero is also pretty hard. Just reaching out to people. People are generally welcoming and, and willing to chat and, and willing to talk because everyone's kind of in the same situation, but that can also be hard as well. But I think maybe the biggest thing to learn is where to spend your time. So it's one thing to create leverage and save time. And it's another thing of that time that you have left. What is the best usage of that time? And for instance, like you might be really interested in digging into crypto. You're like, crypto is my favorite thing. Like I love doing crypto deals, but ultimately at the end of the day, like as a junior investor, you're not writing the check. And if you're not writing the check, then you need to spend time that in places that's useful for your own sort of career advancement and for, you know, the sake of the firm. And if you know that the partner at the firm is not going to write a check for a crypto deal, then yeah, maybe you spend some time on crypto on your own and make the case for that later on. But don't spend time spinning your wheels on things that you're not going to get momentum behind because you want wind in your sails to help propel your career at the firm, but then also just kind of like go with the flow, try to swim downstream instead of upstream. And I think early on, there were certainly, you know, moments where I was like, oh, but I'm super sure about this particular market or this technology. It would behoove <laughs> people to take stock of where people like to spend their time, look at the portfolio, really get to know what partners like, you know, what check writers really like to look into and then kind of spend your time getting close to those businesses and adjacent markets so that you can move faster on, on a lot of the deals that you're sourcing and, and kind of funnel your time into the right activities and spend your energy. Yeah, I think energy efficiency is a core topic, dude. There's in venture, an infinite amount of founders you can talk to, an infinite amount of other investors, an infinite amount of academics, journalists, et cetera. And that's huge. And, and I would also like to point out the the concept that you had there starting downstream uh, and using like gravity to your benefit versus the opposite. Yeah. 
maybe go into like how you've done that a little bit more and if not just everyone keep that concept in mind i think that's key like yeah. that's something for in years and i heard it from someone at abc when i first started in the industry and i thought it was just so brilliant yeah i mean there's definitely kind of a I don't know if it's really a moral hazard, but there's a slippery slope here where you definitely want to have your own opinion and invest on principle and be contrarian to the point where it makes sense and like push for things that you really believe in and, and have done the research for. But at the end of the day, what are you optimizing for? I think is really, you know, the ultimate point. And so aligning with your manager, aligning with the partners at your firm and saying, okay, what am I being held accountable for? What are my KPIs? And then you should look at your calendar every single day because everybody, especially in this remote world, has like 30-minute meetings, 15-minute meetings, back-to-back-to-back, all day long with other investors, other, you know, with founders, and you're taking every single meeting. But at the end of the day, like, you should ask yourself whether or not things that you've time-boxed on your calendar relate to your key objectives. And if they don't, you should punt it or you should get rid of it altogether and turn it into an email or you should just not spend any energy on it at all. And if you can't look at your calendar and say, oh, this relates to priority one, two, or three, then it's probably not a good use of your time, at least as it relates to work. Whether or not you want to take a personal trip down crypto lane or insert technology here, or insert effort here, or project here, you know, that's up to you. But from the, the point of view of what you're optimizing for. And if you're optimizing for, for career advancement, for getting better, getting smarter, learning more, being more effective, you should really kind of make sure that you're in sync with, with what that looks like for your firm. Yeah, that's one point, man. I would love to talk about, uh, when you talk about understanding what's great for your firm and being truly aligned with them, I think a lot of that circles around the concept of trust, which is something you, we've talked about in the past. Can you talk a little bit about how you go about building trust both in and out of your firm? Yeah, I think I think inside is is a quick answer, and and that's just like being prepared. This is one of those situations where actually maybe all situations relate this way, but actions speak louder than words, right? And you want to get to a point where, or at least how I think about it, is I want to get to a point where. If I put something in front of somebody on my team, they're like, oh, Kai did it. So I don't have to double check this. And that there's no easy way to do that. That's continued compounding, error-free, or at least if there are errors, accountable sort of work ethic and also results in production. If you're truly creating leverage for people and you're doing that consistently and delivering over time, that builds credibility, which builds trust. The other thing is like going the extra mile and like putting that time in to like really understand something to the point where you could explain it to a kindergartner, a first grader, and anyone and everyone at your firm in a variety of different ways to build the case for whatever it is that you're presenting internally, I think also helps to build trust. Then on a fundamentally just human level, and I think kind of segueing into how you do this outside your firm, I think in venture, it's pretty, I mean, I I get on these calls all the time and honestly, like they're kind of painful, but there's this tendency to like, just start jumping into everything that you're doing work-wise. Well, like, what are you looking into? What are you focusing on? But no one just, if you think about the range of interactions that you have in your life and on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, no one operates in that way. People want to connect on squid games, right? Like people want to connect on the food that they have, the music that they listen to, the places that they've spent time, places they've traveled to. And so often people, for the sake of efficiency, will forget to lay the foundation, right, for trust in that you need to relate to someone for who they are, like win the hearts and minds of people first, 
before you try to jump into this whole like professional orientation. I, and, and I wrote an article about this. It's like creating conversations for possibility before you create conversations for action, I think is really important. And the way that you do that is to create room for that. And the way that I think I do that and, and spend most of my time thinking about is like building community. And so I don't drink alcohol. Um, I don't drink coffee. I don't, yeah, I'm a pretty, pretty regimented morning routine sort of person. And I like to organize pickup soccer games or basketball or kickball. We just had a field day in New York last weekend. I like to go to a concert, go to a comedy stand-up, you know, sort of show with people. And I don't, I, I blur the lines on like what's social and what's professional, because ultimately at the end of the day, like you're trying to build friendships and real relationships with people. And the best way to build rapport is to kind of go into a space together that you're both uncomfortable or a space that's both new for you and whoever else is there with you. And when you walk out of that space, it's like glue, like going into that new space, because you then have something, you have a touch point to launch off of to start other conversations about other things. And then maybe finally, the, the other thing that you can do is honestly just like lean into who you are, which sounds cliche, but you know, like start talking about you, your family, the things that you care about. And you'd be pleasantly surprised that you start to resonate a lot more with people as they find different things in your story that are worth connecting to or, or things that they resonate with as well. Like I would not hesitate. I don't think that's a waste of time. What actually leads people through their lives is not valuations. It's religion, it's popular culture, it's artwork. And oftentimes those things, I think people just skip over them. Yeah, agreed. I, I think you made a brilliant move when you kind of leveraged your family story to try to create community within the venture capital space. You want to talk a little bit about the, the potential trips that you may have coming up for some of the, some of your favorite investors and founders? Yeah. So this is postponed for now, but earlier this year, I, one of the first things that I did when I joined primary was started organizing this trip for investors to spend a week in Jamaica. And the reason for that just goes back to what I was saying before is like creating these shared spaces of vulnerability. You think about the two, there are really two settings, at least that are repeatable that people really break down and get to know each other in. And those two settings are one traveling together or two having a meal. And there are countless dinners that happen in New York and other markets every single day. And they're helpful and they're useful, but things that people, you know, really stick in mind and are distinctive are trips that you take with people because the time spent on the plane, in the airport, whatever, in the hotel, late at night, those are the moments where you get into real conversations with people. And I'm going to be looking to, to do a lot more of that travel with other investors moving forward to kind of build real rapport with people and see, you know, do we actually just get along as, as like people? And then from there, you know, people aren't just going to send deals to, to just send deals. They're going to send deals to their friends. And what better way to make a friend than to, to offer them a trip <laughs> to Jamaica? That's currently postponed, going to be rescheduled, but a lot more on that front to come sooner rather than later. Well, I, I want to finish on that note, just excited for the trip and then give you a chance to ask me and Clay anything, and then we'll hop into this rapid fire round. So I know you have limited time. Yeah. What has been, I'm curious, just, I'm really fascinated, as I mentioned, maybe earlier in the call and like questions and maybe my question to you both is like, what is the most interesting question that you've heard someone ask recently? Cause you know, 
as we pointed out, as you pointed out, Tyler, like there's no shortage of information. There's no shortage of experts. There's no shortage of things you can look into answers, but oftentimes like we don't really get to what we're looking for because we don't even know what to ask. So just curious from the podcast, from the work you guys have been doing, what is the most interesting question that you've heard recently? Yeah. Um, usually I would force Clay to go first, but something came to mind immediately for my businesses that I'm starting. I have, uh, I've partnered with this guy who's a serial entrepreneur. He built like Virgin Mobile and WeWork's biggest competitor and a few other folks. And we have this guy who works with us as our like performance coach. His name is Rich Vincent. And uh, he was the performance coach for Jeff Bezos and Sasha Nadella and some presidents and some other crazy stuff. And he always pushes us on the concept of the mission or the why. And the question that he asked us is if you are not to describe this as a business for any company that we found, why does this thing need to exist? What is it? Like describe it in less than 10 words, but not as a business. And I think that when you get the answers of it, it's just like phenomenal. So like for VCs, I would, I would ask you as part of your memo to write that because it will help you determine if this thing will have a natural cap or it could evolve into a conglomerate or a fang member one day. Gotcha. I guess for me, I heard somebody ask this recently, but it's just like, what, when you're asking anybody what they're working on, it's just like, what would it take for you to quit this? Whether it's an amount of money or something bad going wrong. And people can quickly think of something in their head and it just kind of shows this lack of conviction. I think a lot of people though, that they just can't figure out an answer for it. Those are the people that are worth betting on because like right or wrong, like they're just going to keep with it for however long until it does end up working out. Forget where I heard that or who I heard it from, but I thought it was just like a different question that I was used to. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense in the context of starting businesses that should last at the very least 10 years, if not much longer than that. So that's super helpful. Yeah. 10 years is a long time. You got to be pretty comfortable, like going through ups and downs, like dealing with some shit. So I thought it was kind of interesting. I'm going to start using it more in intelligence calls. Quick fire. Let's do it. Cool. So Kai, we do these at the end. We got five questions meant to be answered in two sentences or less. First one we've got is what is a recommendation you hear regularly that you think is bad advice? Make an Instagram. I don't have Instagram and people are always asking me why. And I think it's a, I think it's a waste of time. Uh, so I think that's a bad advice. <laughs> I love it. I don't have one either. None of my brothers do. Um, the only person in my family that has an Instagram is my dad. And he has, he's really bad at Instagram. Like you should just delete his too, but I totally agree. Next one in the last year, what new belief behavior habit has most improved your life? Accept things for what they are. That I guess is, is both a belief and a behavior. And I think a lot of people have trouble with accepting things for what they are. And, you know, that leads to a lot of frustration sort of for you personally, as you're perceiving things in the world. But if you just accept them for what they are, that doesn't mean that you can't change them. It just means that you understand why things are the way that they are. And even if you don't understand why, like they just are that way and you can kind of shift it if you want to, but you know, don't get yourself frustrated over things that are just the way that they are that you have no control over. Yeah, I think that's a good mindset to have. Next one, aside from having to say no all the time, what's the worst part about venture? Right now, just moving really fast. <laughs> People used to have 
you know, two months to do a diligence. Now you have two days and it's, you have to make a decision really quickly and you could be making a bad decision, but you'll never know. Wish I had more time to do diligence. I feel like I've heard different answers to that same critique though. Like for some people, I think they like the shortened timeline because less diligence means less busy work for analyst associates. It's just like, all right, we got to wire money. But yeah, if you like doing diligence, like you got to just be comfortable writing checks quickly now or like investing based on narrative or something else. Just like you can't necessarily underwrite for it. So I think that's a good point. Next one, kind of touched on this earlier, but if you could narrow it down to one, what's your best piece of advice for junior VCs or those aspiring to break into venture? Pretend to be a venture investor. <laughs> so position yourself as a peer, not as someone who's looking for a job. Add value right away. I think it's the best piece of advice that I can, I can give. Yeah, I feel like that's the best way to be memorable. If nothing else, VCs get pitched on like why to hire me or like why you should take a chance on me all day long. So just like cutting through the noise, offering value. If nothing else, like best case scenario, at least a job, like worst case scenario, like at least you remembered. So I love that. And then last piece here, who's a mentor of yours that you'd want to give credit to? Top of mind is a friend of mine, Dave She, who's building a company called Justice Techs. And it's just kind of inspiring to watch her work on something that really matters to her and take it at her own pace and set her own time and, and destiny and, and do something that really matters to the world. So definitely Dave She for reminding me to work hard, but to work hard on things that really matter. Uh, I think would be an answer to that. We'll follow up also an email for this last question, but I always do a bad job of asking while we're on the call. This is how we got put in touch with you from Abigail, but who would you want to see on the Confluence VC podcast? I'd love to hear from Lacey Wisdom at ENIAC. I think she'd have some interesting things to say. So, I mean, if you're cool making an intro, would love to have her. No pressure at all if you're not. Totally up to you, but if you are open to it, we'd love to have her. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely do that. Cool, man. Tyler, I'm missing anything. Yeah. No, I think we're all good. Cool. Kai, oh. really appreciate it again, man. I know you're probably super busy. Perfect. Sounds good. Cool. Talk to you guys later. Have a good weekend. Huge thanks again to Kai for coming on this week, and we hope that each of you were able to pick up something valuable from this talk. If you're looking to get in touch with Kai, we've linked his social info within the description below, and you can also find his contact info within the Confluence BC directory. For next steps, if each of you have not submitted your info to become a member yet you can do that through our website at www.confluence.bc and also if you want to become a subscriber to the newsletter we offer a ton of free resources in there each and every week meant to help you become better at your individual roles you can subscribe there at www.confluence.substack.com hope that helps hope to hear from y'all soon